The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right. So good to be with you guys, even though it's at a distance. It's just uh, great to be able to be with you and to have you join us together at TBC. Uh, one of the things I wanted to remind you of, uh, we do have it in, we had it in the welcome announcements, but I just wanted to uh, bring attention to the Apple Tree Project and also Backpack Buddies. I think we, we have a slide for that, but uh, one of the things that we do in our community, and as a local outreach pastor, I get to be part of, a privilege to partner with these organizations. One is Apple Tree, uh, which is run by Helping Hands, and that services kids in Academy and Belton. And then we also have Backpack Buddies that services kids all over TISD. And so you're gonna see online an opportunity on the hub uh, pretty soon in the near future to be able to click on a link and be able to adopt a child or two uh, to give them backpacks and supplies for the coming school year. So we really hope that you'll jump on board with that, even though it's at a distance and even though it's a little different than picking up a card out in the lobby, uh, you'll still be able to go online and do that. So we're excited about uh, that opportunity to serve our community. So we're continuing our series in the book of Psalms, and uh, we're in Psalm 42 uh, this morning and talking about hope in God. So we think about our hope and where does it lie and the fact that it doesn't lie in circumstances, obviously. It doesn't lie in things that we experience or things that are found in this world. But as we look at Psalm 42 today, we're gonna find that our hope only can rest in God. It was about 60 years ago where I met a young man over in Rwanda and met his dad. I was had the privilege of going over there to, uh, to just explore the partnership that TBC was going to begin uh, with the pastors in Rwanda. This young man was named Jean-Baptiste, and uh, he's just an inspiring young man to be around. I say young, he's, he's in his 30s now, but for me, he's young. Uh, and he's just an inspiring young man to be around. He shared with me as I, we went to the, the memorial, the genocide memorial in Rwanda, he shared with us in this team that went over there about what he experienced in the genocide. The fact that his families were, were the family members were split apart in the country and they didn't know if, if one was alive or if one was suffering and how well they were doing. He talks about even as an 11 year old boy walking over dead bodies. And as I sat and, and listened to him share that story and even in the future, listening to stories as he told them to teams as they come every summer, there's something intriguing about hearing someone's pain. There's something that draws you in as a person to when you hear a story of difficulty and struggle and here today in Psalm 42, we are drawn in to the struggle. We're drawn in to David's pain. It's a, a weirdly attractive thing to hear about the difficulty people are going through. But God has designed us to be attracted to it, not only just for our value of hearing, but also to empathize and actually encourage one another. So hopefully, this psalm, although part of it is depressing, will be an encouragement for us to look at where our hope lies. 
In this psalm, you don't see David mentioned as the author, but the style and the way that it's written is widely agreed upon that David is the author of this psalm. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, there's always those words that are are listed out there, descriptions that you probably just gloss over or maybe don't even read. But if you look, it says that it's from the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a, a group of high priests and their sole responsibility was to lead and worship. Just like Mark and Whitley lead us up here, these high priests were drawn and picked out by God to lead in choruses of worship. These psalms that were poetic songs intended to fix our eyes on God. And then you also notice that it says that it is a mascal. So I had to look this up because I don't really know what that word means. And apparently Google doesn't have a lot about it. So Google, I found something that Google doesn't know much about. But it does say that it's intended, it's a word intended to instruct. So Psalm 42, it's a public worship song, but it's intended to inform, inspire, and instruct God's people. So we see that there is a chorus even in this song that's almost like it's dropped in the middle and it's also repeated at the end, just like a worship song would have. So what we're gonna do today really is go mostly verse by verse in this psalm. It's a short psalm, it's easy to get through. And we're gonna go verse by verse just to see how David encounters this struggle, this depression, this anxiety, this feeling of of departure of God, and we're gonna see how he handles it. So in verse one and two, we can see, he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He says, as the deer pants for water. And I'm sure he's pictured this a time or two when he's been out in the wilderness and and seen deer looking for water, seen deer worn out. And in in our lives, I'm sure we can see this in different ways. I see that in my dog when he goes out for a run, you know, and he's just 102 degrees outside and his tongue is like dragging the ground. Uh, Maybe you can identify for way back in the day for some of you, two a days in football in August in Texas. Texas. I can't imagine. I mean, it was bad enough growing up in Philadelphia, but in Texas, just panning for water. Some of you, maybe during this quarantine, have tried a new workout routine. Maybe you've gotten into something different and, and you've been panning for water. Maybe for some of you, it's just simply in this heat walking near mailbox. I don't know. But it, it's, it's this idea of being so thirsty that you just long for water. You long for something to quench your fir- thirst. And here's David speaking about a deer. It's interesting that he chooses thirst instead of hunger. This is important to look at and, and to analyze a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the show Alone, but this show has fascinated me with me recently. You can, you can check it out on Netflix, I think on Amazon too. But basically they get 10 people and they drop them in a wilderness with nothing except like 10 things they could throw in their backpack. And they just say, they, they volunteer for this. It wasn't like they grabbed them off the streets. They actually volunteer to be dropped in this wilderness. This isn't anything that's protected. They're, they're in the wilderness. They're having to fend for themselves. There's bears around. There's leopards around. There's bobcats and all this craziness. And on top of that, they have to find clean water. And it's interesting when they drop the people off, the first thing they mention, the first thing they look for is a clean water source. 
They don't mention hunger. They don't mention satisfying their food needs. And it's, it's even David mentions thirst. You see, a human can survive three to four weeks without food, but they can only survive three to four days without water. There's a desperation here. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? There's this longing to appear before God. It's like in his depression, in his anxiety, he feels this weight like God has left him and he's searching for God. This desperation, it sounds somewhat similar to the horrors of hell that are described in the Bible. The separation from God, the ultimate pain and agony of hell is not necessarily what's described in the Bible as, as flames and utter darkness, but the ultimate ang- agony is actually being separated from the creator, separated from God, and this is kind of the agony he's experiencing right here. Verse three, he talks about, he says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Talks about tears being his food. I don't know if any of you out there are criers, but uh, I've been known to do that on the stage here. My kids they make fun of me often because I tend to do that as an emotional person on stage. But for some of you, maybe you can relate to, to David's statement here. And when you really get to crying, when you really are experiencing pain and agony and sorrow, they, those tears roll down, and when they hit your mouth, there's this distinct taste to a tear. And it shows that you're in either great pain or maybe you cry even when you're joyful. But here, David is in great sorrow. Now, Candace and I, we've, we've been married 22 years. It's been a great journey. In the beginning of our marriage, and even when we were dating, uh, we share with one another all the things that we've been through leading up to the point of our, our dating and even into our engagement. And Candace and I, over time, we've walked through some battles with her. Not us against each other, don't get me wrong. There's been a few of those. But battles that we've faced together as a team, as a married couple, and one of those is depression and anxiety. And she has been diagnosed with a chemical imbalance and even way back into high school in that situation where she just struggles sometimes through this. And as we got married, we just faced this battle. And there were days where it was just difficult, difficult to get out of bed, difficult to face the day. And in those moments, as we struggled together and read God's word and leaned on God's promises, there were plenty of tears and plenty of food as tears. And maybe some of you out there can relate. Maybe you've gone through difficulty for years, maybe for decades. And some of you are struggling even now. And, and pouring out your heart to God and, and your tears are literally your food on a daily basis. Or maybe some of you, it's just been in the last four months, the situation that you've been put in, the situation, socially distant, struggling, seeing family members get sick or even losing loved ones, the, the future being uncertain, so much anxiety out there today. And, and literally, the, your tears have been your food. David here is relating to you. You can relate to him and his struggle. 
But we've been through difficulty, and, and Candace and I went through this and continue sometimes to even deal with this and battle this, and maybe some of you continue to battle this, but imagine going through this, but then you also have enemies on the outside right next to you taunting you as you go through it. Imagine them knowing that you believe in this great God and this great hope for our society and you're going through the struggle, but on top of it all, you have people taunting you and saying, where is your God now? Unfortunately, maybe some of you do. Maybe you're like Job and you have family members and friends who literally taunt you in your belief in God even in this difficulty. But here David is saying, here they say to him, where is your God? It's actually reminiscent of what Jesus went through in his trials and leading up to death where they would just strike him on the face and, and basically say, where's your God now? And, and taunt him and, and say, let God come save him. Let him take him off the cross and, and all these different things that Jesus went through as well. So not only is, is he going through this agony where his, his tears have been his food day and night, but he also has people taunting him. This is, has to be one of the worst insults David has ever faced. This is his God. He's a man after God's own heart, yet he has people taunting him saying, where's your God now? Where is he? Some of you maybe can relate to him right now. But he moves into verse four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So here he is, recalling the memories, the amazing memories of leading the people of God into the house of God to worship. How relatable is this to today? How our worship team longs to have people existing right here in this auditorium. How we as pastors long to have people being able to enjoy together this time of singing and praise. And here David is recalling this and realizing that it's absent. Just like this room, it's empty. And we long to lift our voices up and he's in this state of just longing to be together again as a community longing to worship and sing together. So here he goes in verse five. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. David gives us this chorus again in the middle and the end of the psalm. And he gives us a great method to follow when we experience persecution, when we experience depression, when we experience anxiety. What does he do? He asks questions. He asks questions that directly to point to where his hope lies. He talks to himself. We can learn some valuable lessons here to implement this principle in our lives of asking questions and analyzing our focus. Where does our focus come from and where is our focus now? Is it on the difficulty? Is it on the anxiety? Is it on the tough situation with maybe you and your family? Where is your focus? And he, he asks these questions of himself. Why am I cast down? Why is there turmoil within me? So maybe you can ask yourself, what are you hoping in? What have you put your hope in? Maybe it's a career and a career path. 
And you think if I, I accomplish this, then my hopes, my, my dreams will be satisfied and I will be fulfilled. Maybe for you, it's, it's your children's success. Maybe on the athletic field or in the classroom or just life in general, that they're just not a failure. And you're putting your hope in your children. Maybe things didn't work out for you when you were young and you're just hoping and putting all that hope into them. Maybe it's into your spouse, which is a, a, a horrible idea. My, my wife is an amazing person, but if we look to our spouse for hope and we look for them to actually fulfill us and make up for where we lack, they're gonna fail us. They're evil just like us. They are sinners just like us. And time and time again, they're going to let us down and our hopes will be dashed if we look for that in our spouse. In education, maybe just simply being symptom-free right now in this pandemic and, and just hoping you make it through, hoping for a cure maybe. We can find our hope in all these things, but those things are temporary. There's going to be something else that comes along that wrecks our society and turns it upside down. There's gonna be other things that come along that give us this lack of hope. And David says this here, why am I cast down? Why is there turmoil within me? He asks himself questions. In verse six, he goes on to say, and my God, my soul is cast down within me. He repeats verse five, but then he gets to a great statement. He says, therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. I remember you. If you want to do something that's productive today, write that in big fat letters and put it somewhere that you can see it when you wake up in the morning every day. Write it on your mirror with an expo marker. I remember you. So many times, and even right now especially, we look at our circumstances, we look at our difficulties, and we don't remember who God is. Dave Tay, two weeks ago, he helped us realize that the desires of our heart, they weren't uh, magical things that God blesses us with because we desire them. He actually talked about and explained the fact that our desires begin to align with God as we trust in him, as we spend time with him. And in the same way, these hopes, these hopes change and align with who God is. So our hopes actually become God's hopes instead of the opposite and we desire things that are actually future and, and, and eternal instead of temporary. So are you struggling today? Has depression, anxiety, and worry sunk its claws deep into you? Are you struggling in turmoil like David was? Remember him. Remember him. Remember what he's done. Remember who he is. Remember the, the price that was paid for you on the cross. The salvation and hope you have in Jesus. And there's a few things I, I just wrote down to ways to remember. Number one would be keep a journal. Just simply keep a journal. And you might say, well, I'm not a writer. Well, guess what? The good thing is nobody's grading your journal. 
So you can actually write your thoughts out to God and you can stumble over them. You can cross them out. You can erase them and do whatever you want with them. But the reality is writing these things out to God, writing your difficulties, writing your struggles is a powerful tool to help remember who God is. And it's not on the slide, but I also threw this in last second. Find a place where you can go to be away and simply remember him. Find your happy place. For some of you, it's just getting away from the kids. Maybe it's locking yourself in the closet. I don't know. For me, it's going to Miller Springs and just getting out on those trails. For some of you, it might be other things, but physically, maybe just getting away to remember him. Uh, Also, finding a close friend to remind one another of God's goodness and accountability. Finding someone you can depend on even during this time and then also joining a small group. A great way to remember God is to join a community, a smaller community of believers where you're encouraged by one another, even going through difficulty to remember who God is. So it's a powerful thing that we can do. Then we go on to verse seven. It says, deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So here he gives a graphic picture of the struggles he's facing. And I remember a picture of this when he says, your waves. I remember going down to Florida and going to the Atlantic Ocean and I was in high school and my brother and I were in the water and a storm was rolling in. I don't know if you've ever been on the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean, not the Gulf of Mexico in a storm. I mean, that's bad, but when it comes to storms and, and, and crazy raging seas, you get to that Atlantic Ocean and a storm is rolling in and most people get out of the water or you're forced out of the water. Well, my brother and I are in high school, so we're kind of dumb, and we just decide, uh, you know what, we're going to stick this out. We're going to see what happens. We see the clouds rolling in. We want to be able to get our boogie boards and, and get a little crazy with the waves, so we're out there in the middle of this dark, dark sky, and the waves are just rolling in, and my mom is, is, is yelling from the back patio of the condo. We're pretending we can't hear her uh, so that we just stay in the water, and man, It was a bad decision. These waves start rolling in and instead of having a few seconds to be able to to get your breath and be able to get ready for the next one, instead, they just come crashing in one on top of the other and before you know it, you're in a tough spot. Fortunately, obviously, we both made it out okay, but man, we were scared. Those waves just crashing in one after the other with no relief in sight. And some of you may feel that way this morning, just like David. Man, things are just crashing over you. Pain, agony, difficulty, struggle continue to hit you like waves. And so we can see that David's struggle is real. We can empathize a little bit with what's going on, but David doesn't just stop there. He takes action during this difficult time. He remembers who God is and Here he says in verse eight, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He acknowledges the steadfast love of God. You know that steadfast love, that phrase is used 127 times just in Psalms alone. Steadfast love, this foundation that we have, a stabilizing force. He also in verse nine mentions the rock That's mentioned 24 times in Psalms. And things like it are mentioned even further, like a fortress, 
a stronghold, a tower, all these things that David uses to signify a sure foundation, the reliability of God, that he is unwavering. And if you look at verse eight again, he says he sings. He sings to God. You know, for some of you, that may be not not so, but for most of us, singing can be therapeutic. Even if we sound horrible, Singing can be a therapeutic thing. God has given us song for a reason. The author of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts, he experienced some very painful health struggles. He wrote these words as a song to sing during troubled times. The title of the song is How Long Wilt Thou Conceal Thy Face? He says, how long wilt thou conceal thy face, my God? How long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and toil in vain? Thy word can all my foes control and ease my raging pain. Thy word. We remember him. There are many times as Candace and I battled this depression together and battled this chemical imbalance and struggled together as a couple, the many, many times where we just laid in our bed in a dark room hopeless and feeling helpless. It was just a situation where there still didn't seem any end. There just doesn't seem to be something that, that could fix this. And, and for me, in my personality, I, I resonate with, with the Wreck-It Ralph character, Fix-It Felix. If you haven't seen that movie, you gotta check it out because Felix is the one who runs around with a hammer and everything that's broken, he fixes. Anything he touches, he fixes and makes it all okay. And for me and my personality, maybe my arrogance a little bit, I kind of have that idea that, okay, I can fix things. I can make them better. I can kind of see a problem and see a solution. And and, uh, Candace loves it when I actually tell her the solution that I think would work, right? I know your spouses do as well. But in these moments, I came to a point where it was literally me laying there helpless, not being able to fix a thing. So where did I go? In those moments, I found myself literally laying in a dark room with my wife, singing worship songs out loud. I don't know if they were comforting to her, but there was this peace that seemed to wash over us as we sang God's truth to one another. And as we just sang out loud, just like David here, he's saying, I'm lifting my song at night. His song is with me. These songs that we sing can help us through the difficulty. David also asks why in verse 10, says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? And in verse nine, he also says, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. He asks why he is real with his pain. John Piper puts it this way. It would be good if all of us were so composed and careful in the expression of our dis- discouragements that we never said anything amiss. But that is not the way we are. In the midst of the tumult of emotions, we are not careful with our words. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble when we have a, a struggle with our spouse and we're not careful with our words. But with David and with us before God, there's an opportunity for us to ask why. 
God knows our pain. He knows our emotions. He created us. So for us to ask why, just like Job did when he lost his 10 children and his entire wealth, he sat there asking why. Why am I dealing with this? Why am I struggling? He doesn't do like I do and just ignore difficulty, maybe explain it away, or maybe for some of you, pretend it's not that bad. Maybe some of you out there do that like I do, where it's just like, it's not really that bad, right? Nobody in pain and agony, want to, they don't want to hear that because it is that bad. It is difficult. It is a struggle. And so instead, what he does is he actually preaches to himself. You find David actually preaching to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, says this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. We can be overwhelmed by thoughts. We can be overwhelmed by difficulty. And even our own voice in our head that speaks depressing words over ourselves. Even from the moment we wake up. But when we take the time to start to preach to ourselves and talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of the goodness and the promises of God, things begin to change. Our perspective begins to change and we are able to handle the struggles that come our way. Verse 11, he finishes it up with the repeating chorus, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. Spurgeon puts it this way in Treasury of David. He says, there is no solid foundation for comfort in such fickle frames as our heart is subject to. Basically the idea is looking inward to yourself in these difficult times is a waste. Thinking that you're good enough to handle these things and that you're just able, like that God has created you in a way that is just something great in you is failure. But acknowledging that there's really nothing good that lies in you, but only what Christ can give you and the hope that is found in him brings us to a place that is different, brings us to a place full of hope. Do you find yourself downcast today? Maybe it's been a long struggle for years. Maybe it's just been in the last four months as we mentioned. Have you been led to a place of despair that you've never encountered before? We do want you to know that there are people here at Temple Bible Church that would love to walk with you and encourage you and meet with you and counsel with you. There is hope. And this ministry has great people who would love to to encourage you. And, And I just want to encourage you to reach out to reach out to us, go to our website and, and reach out to us. We'd love to connect you with somebody that can encourage you. We've seen today that David can relate. He gives us hope. 
In his book, uh, Praying Life by Paul Miller, he describes that it actually is kind of weird. I just popped this in my notes in the last minute this week. I was reading this chapter, and the chapter talks about a desert. And he gives an example of a desert in his book where he, they had this child, this little girl, and uh, she developed all these different difficulties, these special needs that were just so tough to deal with and even to the point where she couldn't talk and she had to use a, a computer to talk. And he talks about going through this desert and the prayers that he and his wife prayed even before she was born for safety and for health and how it felt like God had let them down and it felt like God wasn't there in this struggle and this sorrow. But he goes on to describe all the things, all the blessings of God that came from this little girl, their daughter with special needs, that their desires were different, their, their, their hopes were different, their struggles were even different, and their peace was even different because of what had come through what they saw as something bad that happened to them, a desert. And what he concludes in this chapter, in this book, in the, on a desert is that we shouldn't wish our way out of the desert. So many times in our lives we go through difficulty and, and things are, are just hard and, and things are tough, whether it's sickness or financial struggle or struggle with a family or a marriage or a relationship or even not being able to go to school or finish your senior year and all these struggles we face. And we're in the middle of this desert and we're praying for God to just remove us from the desert and take us out to make us not so thirsty again. What David's trying to help us understand and what I believe God is trying to help us understand today is that we need to actually, in a weird way, be thankful for the desert. Because it's in the desert that we seek God the most. It's when we're thirsty that we look for a drink. It's when we're struggling that we find ourselves closest to God. And God wants us here at times. He wants us to echo what David says in Psalm 63, 1. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So as you think about this encouragement today, I just want you to take some time even now to pray. Wherever you're at, in your living room or wherever it is, take some time to pray and talk to God and deal with maybe your attitude in the desert, maybe your struggle with no hope at this time. And let's pray together and, and do work this morning. Dear God, we are thankful for your love. We're thankful for your grace in our lives. We're thankful that you provide hope where there seems to be no hope, that you allow us to see you in a way that is uh, different than what the world sees. And we look at oftentimes the things that give us no hope or no lasting hope, but instead you call us to trust in you. And maybe someone at home this morning is struggling and dealing with pain, dealing with agony of a situation that they seem to have no hope. Lord, help them find their hope in you. Help them remember you and all you are, your goodness, your mercy, your steadfast love. Lord, I pray maybe for someone out there that may not know 
you, has never experienced your love and your forgiveness, Lord, even now, help them take the time to recognize that they are a sinner in need of grace, that they will call upon the name of your son, Jesus, to save them, to give them new life. Lord, bless us as a church. Help us be a church who cares for one another in community, encouraging one another, giving one another hope in a difficult time. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless us as we go out this week and bless us as we continue to worship. In your name we pray, amen.